Welcome to Better Words, a podcast for readers who want to know the stories behind the pages. We're your hosts, Caitlin and Michelle, two book nerds who bring you in-depth conversations about writing and publishing from those on the inside. Basically, we're just here to talk about books. We're so glad you're joining us. Hello, welcome back to Better Words. Caitlin, how are you? I'm good. I'm excited that we are almost done with this season, I'll be honest. Yeah, we've both um, been falling towards a bit of a reading slump lately, haven't we? And we've really had to like, I mean, I talked about this last week on the the podcast, like really had to like be like, no, you are not allowed to be in a reading slump. Get your act together and read something for God's sake. So yeah, we are excited for a break. Yeah, I actually think being more organised has like hurt us in that way because I don't know I feel like I'm not going to explain this well but we were so organized and read a lot of the books quite Mm. early that then we were reading like other things and but then recording a lot and everything and like the energy wasn't quite matching up with what we needed so I feel like we've been working on this season a lot longer maybe 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 yeah although all in all I think it's worked out well in terms of how we've managed to space things um out but I'm yeah Yeah, absolutely I'm really proud of this season I think it's been really good we've had so many great guests and yeah have two more today's and next week um and great conversations I think we've covered so much this season as well we hope you've enjoyed it yeah Uh, it's been really good but yeah it does take a lot out of us so I think we're both looking forward to a bit of a break and (laughs) once we sort of stop recording um, and I have to like edit these episodes and once we sort of finish that I'm actually going to be like doing some podcasts for like my business podcast so I sort of put that on hold um, while we were doing better words so I'm going to sort of yeah I'm going to like move back (laughs) to that but also um, obviously mentioned last week that we got our visas um, and I think I did anyway. I did, didn't I? Yeah, we're moving. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we, during the week, like, booked our flights and stuff. So I think I'm also just excited for the break, knowing that it gives me more space to to do the things that we need to do in the background without going completely mental in the process. Like, I think I'm still holding on to reading for fun, and even though it's slow, um, and, you know, exercising and seeing friends and stuff like that. So hopefully we'll be able to prepare for the move without going too crazy. <laughs> yes, hopefully. And, oh, of course, we'll also still be reading lots and, and recommending things in the monthly Substack. Yes, please go subscribe. I'm having fun with Substack. I really like, I like Substack. It. And, um, yeah, I really enjoy the app and stuff as well it's really fun um and I just really love putting together our recommendations and look I I can't promise this but I'm trying to make a month this month that I recommend stuff that isn't crime related (laughs) but we'll see how I go (laughs) we'll see how I go um I'm trying I make no such promises about comedy yeah, or romance. I know. I just felt like I was always bringing the cry, like my little crime corner. So we'll see. Um, <laughs> oh, anyway, we have some more recommendations for you. Um, by the way, I did finish Double Booked. Did really, really enjoy it. It's really good. And it just got me 
Excellent. Just quickly Just back, back up, up last, last week's, week's awkward yeah, recommendation. Exactly. <laughs> I was indeed on the money. I did like that book. Um, Caitlin, what Excellent. have you got for us? Oh, man. I feel like potentially, you know, in bookish and publishing circles, this book needs no introduction. But I have finally, after honestly a year and a half, of people talking about this book at because work. it is a HarperCollins book. I have finally read, it is, yes, but I have finally read Yellow Face by Rebecca Quang. So oh you also <laughs> recommended Babel last year, which she wrote. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, which you were very surprised that I really enjoyed because technically it was mm. fantasy. Yellowface is not fantasy. It is not published by our Voyager imprint. Um, it's on like the literary imprints. I always find it fascinating um, when authors but yeah, like, I've never... do such different genres. It's amazing. Yeah. It is a shift for Rebecca, I think. But God, it's so good. But also in a lot of ways it is um, similar in themes and everything to Babel um, so because in case anyone doesn't know, Yellowface follows June, um, is our main character, or the entire book is from her perspective. She had a, her first debut novel um, was published, you know, a couple of years ago to not very much fanfare, but a a fellow author that she knows from university, they are not super good friends light acquaintances live in the same area see each other regularly but like would you call someone like that a very good friend potentially not but she happens to be hanging out with athena who has been published uh time and time again to a lot of success and books being made into movies and you know number one bestsellers and incredible special editions and like all of these things in New York in American publishing um that you know we hear about all of this like fanfare and so much money and all of these things and June just happens to be having a drink with Athena and they go back to Athena's apartment to have another drink mere days after Athena has finished her latest manuscript which no one has read or heard about she writes everything on a typewriter and they make pancakes and she chokes and dies. And then the uh, the first chapter, this is like none of this is spoilers, the first chapter ends with June back at her apartment with her bag heavy because she's stolen Athena's manuscript. Nuts. Nuts. It is absolutely nuts. So, you know, what follows is a pretty scathing story about the publishing industry and about, yeah, publishing work that isn't your own or that you've worked on, you know, that you've changed, but yeah, the original was not your own. So about stolen work, about taking credit for someone else's work, about publishing a story about the Chinese labor forces in World War One when you're a white woman named June. Mm. <laughs> you know, all of these things. It's such a compelling read. It is 
so gripping and it's like not very long but oh my god i can't wait yeah, for you to read this yeah. michelle we need to talk yeah, about definitely it read it it's it's insane i mean i've had i've had a lot of conversations about this book already um obviously a lot of people i work with um have read it but even today at lunch i was like oh no i have finally read it and we were like talking about it and reading reviews i think it has just come out in the u.s but the Australia pub date is in a week or so I should know this <laughs> um I think it's the 7th of June is our official publication date um or it might be the very 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 end of May um but yeah I mean you will not miss it it is bright yellow it will be everywhere but god it deserves to be everywhere and I really really hope this book does well because it's such a incredible book but also just oh the conversations that are that will spark oh my god if anyone's read it please dm me because i've not actually talked to that many people about it yet um yeah that sounds amazing i am definitely going to be reading it um in coming months uh sounds incredible and yeah i'm sure like really thought-provoking um lots of discussions and stuff um Amazing. Well, my my recommendation yeah. is one I believe you've already read, although I don't think we've talked about on the podcast, um, and that is Dancing Barefoot by Alice Boyle. And this is, I'm not sure what year, but it is a text prize winner and we love the text prize. Uh, <laughs> we do. It would only be a couple of years ago, maybe it won maybe in 2021. 2021. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. That's my guess. Yeah. So it's described as a feel-good romance about growing up queer, figuring out your place in the world, staying true to yourself and your friends, finding love and learning to embrace the obstacles life throws in your path, which, you know, is our classic book that we love. Um, so it's about yeah. Patch, who is a young girl. She's not out to everyone yet or out to anyone yet, really, but pretty early on in the book she says you know I'm in love with Evie this amazing girl from you know it's a classic like you've got a crush on someone in high school and she's just been painfully harboring this crush for years um but she hasn't actually come out to anyone yet um even her best friend Edwin who is trans um she hasn't like said to him yet this is this is how I feel. I like girls. Um, so she's sort of trying to keep it secret while also kind of befriending Evie after an incident with some ink and her uniform and Evie lends her a spare uniform and they start becoming friends. So it's that classic like, are we just friends? Is this more? Do you like me more than friends thing? Um, and it's just such a sweet, sweet, fun romance um class I feel like classic like teen rom-com movie feel I just loved it though it was so nice yeah um I really liked the there's a like secondary storyline about um Patch's dad starting to date again um which was quite cute and yeah, yeah. it was just it was just really nice um and just the characters were really lovely and yeah but yeah I think that um yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed this book when I, I read, I must've read it at the end of like towards the end of last year or at some point around there. But yeah, I really enjoyed it. I also really enjoyed, 
I forget her name, but the person who works in the music shop that's like below their apartment that her dad owns. I think it's Bernie. Yeah. Yeah. I liked their I their liked, interactions. Yeah, their interactions yeah. with Patch. Yeah. Yeah. It was really, really sweet. It's a fun yeah. character. Very, and it's like yeah. quite a because it's YA, um, quite quite a short read as well. Like I just really got into it. Um And set in Melbourne, yes. right? Yeah, it feels very Melbourne. Um Yeah, it was really really nice. Um I don't have anything more to say other than it was really nice. It's, it's really yeah, nice. It was really nice. I remember thinking that um, too. <laughs> I'm also going to recommend something. I was going to send it to you before we chatted, um, but then I forgot. So instead I'm going to link it in the show notes <laughs> and it is a piece on Substack by David Burton, who's a writer who I've read his book, How to Be Happy. Um, I haven't read any of his other stuff, but um, Claire Christian I'm pretty sure I've read How to Be Happy. Yeah, and Claire Christian mentioned him um, in the episode we did about West Side Honey. Anyway, I subscribed to his Substack, um, and he put out a post, which I think is just the reason I wouldn't usually share an extra thing in this. I'd usually save it for our recommendations um, Substack at the end of the month, but I think it's an interesting read alongside some of the stuff that we're going to discuss in our chat with Ashley after this it's not as dark but it is about the men that other men look up to online Um, and the reason I think you would really enjoy it Caitlin as well is it starts and is about um, the sort of parasocial relationship Dave feels that he has with Dax Shepard because of Armchair Expert But he's talking about this idea of like his relationship with that podcast and then how it's made him sort of relook at things like Jordan Peterson and um, who's that other one that's Joe Rogan um, and the sort of dangerous stuff that they sort of sprout and the reason why people sort of can fall into that trap. And he's talking about – he sort of talked about how he didn't lean into anything that they said, but how he did with Dax's podcast and all the emotional stuff that he shares on the podcast. And he talks about this sense of community um, and the cure for loneliness, obviously being other people and the sense of community the podcast can foster. Um, You know, we've had that with podcasts that we love listening to, especially like when we first started listening to podcasts, um, people that you really feel like you have a relationship with when you've listened for so many years. Um, and so he's talking about his relationship with that and the way that for a lot of modern men, um, there are so many other people that they can connect with online, but unfortunately that could lead you down sometimes quite a dark path. Um, and that's something that we're going to chat about in terms of obviously the darkest of all, the manosphere um, with Ashley and, yeah. and, and something that we brought up in that chat was the way that often those more dangerous communities um, do offer a sense of like um, community, for lack of a better word. They, they offer a sense of companionship for people who feel lonely um, and something else that 
um, Dave talks about in this is how easy it is when you maybe watch one or two types of comedians on YouTube for the algorithm to start sending you down a more extremist path, um, which is like a broader issue in itself. Um, and yeah, I just... Yeah, how interesting. It's so, so interesting. So he says, like, I don't think of myself as a lonely man, but Dark Shepherd has become the only adult male I hear from regularly. And I just think it's like the first steps of sort of understanding how people take those deeper steps into extremism that we're going to discuss in this episode. So I thought I would share it and I will link to it. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds really interesting. I look forward to reading that. Um, and this also leads me into my <laughs> fun little check-in question before we throw to our interview with Ashley. Michelle, have you changed all your passwords? <laughs> I haven't changed all of them, but I've started using LastPass more, which is something we discuss in this interview. Um, yes, me too. So when you hear that bit in our I need interview to sit down and do more um, where Ashley really scolds us um we have taken action and I encourage everyone else to take action <laughs> oh, oh god it's a scary scary thing um and with that in mind we will also give you a little content warning um we don't go into like too much detail of graphic stuff in this book but we are going to be talking about the manosphere and incels um, and a little bit about that, we're going to be talking about true crime related things. Um, and uh, I think, you know, that this, this conversation could be a bit triggering for you. If that sort of stuff is triggering, then as much as we loved Ashley's book, it is probably not for you. We'll just give you that warning. It is really quite um, haunting and graphic in some places. So if that sort of stuff is not for you then you know probably give this book a miss um and exercise some caution where if you're going to listen to the interview yeah there's certainly some tough topics so yes everyone be careful um but yeah we hope you enjoyed this interview we found it really Even fascinating it was really scary. <laughs> yeah now i'm off to change my passwords Our guest this week is the author of the memoir, How to Be Australian, and collected fiction and essays, My Name is Revenge. Her writing appears across several Australian publications, and she co-hosts James and Ashley Stay at Home, a podcast about writing, creativity, and health. She also teaches creative writing. She's originally from Canada and has lived and worked in South Korea, Peru, and Mexico, and she's now based in Sydney. Today, we are discussing her chilling, slightly terrifying new thriller, Dark Mode. Welcome to Better Words, Ashley Callaghan blunt Thank you so much for having me, Michelle and Caitlin. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. I think this is going to be um, a bit more of an intense uh, chat than we've had so far on this season. We, as Michelle has already outed me to you and everyone listening probably knows crime and thrillers are not generally my favorite genre but god this one is so compelling and it's not gory which is usually my problem my problem but it's pretty intense and unsettling yeah i started reading this um on 
Friday evening and I, you know, read a couple of chapters before bed as, as I usually do. I think I got to like chapter five and we were catching the plane to Brisbane the next day. And from the time we left the airport to, we got to Brisbane, then there were, we had to get to the Gold Coast. Um, so the train usually takes an hour and a half. There were track works. It was take, it was two and a half hours, I think. By the time we had got to the Gold Coast, I was at like maybe 20 pages from the end. Like I just could not stop reading. It was literally almost in one sitting, um, which, you know, I think probably the best way to consume this book. But also once I stopped reading it, like I could not stop thinking about it. It, it has been on my mind since then. It is so incredibly unsettling and yet so compelling I just yeah wow <laughs> and well, I love all of that <laughs> yes lots of adjectives there um but to properly start us off Ashley can you just tell us a bit about dark mode <laughs> yes absolutely so dark mode is a psychological thriller with a dark web plot and it's so wonderful to hear that you found it gripping and captivating and you couldn't stop reading it because I really did want to craft that experience for readers. But of course, when you're writing it, you don't know if it's actually going to work that, that well. So it's amazing to hear that. So it is set in Sydney over a sweltering summer in 2017. Its main character is a woman named Reagan who runs a local garden center. Unfortunately, she's very good at growing strange and unusual plants, but she's not very good at running a business. So her business is not doing that well. The other interesting thing about Reagan is that she is not online at all. She has no social media. She doesn't even have a smartphone. And she has good reasons for that. In chapter one, she goes out for her morning run and comes across the body of a woman who has clearly been murdered, but also very much looks like Reagan. And she begins to fear her past is catching up with her. So creepy. And we literally can't even say anything much beyond her run in chapter one. No, we have to discuss some things. But, but I think that I think that I think that we'll what get, we we'll get want into to themes, discuss, no I think, is actually sort of on the um, blurb a little bit. Anyway, we're going to try to avoid spoilers as much as possible. But what the stuff I want to ask you, I think anyone will also pick up in chapter one. So. I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to ask you the things that we want to ask you uh, a little bit later. <laughs> Excellent. But first off, we're going to go outside the book because we read in the author's note that you were inspired by Laura Bates, The Men Who Hate Women. So can you tell us a bit about that, like your experience with that book and how that inspired this fictional story? Yeah, absolutely. So I think what's really interesting is that I'm a huge thriller reader and I read a lot of true crime as well. And I spent, and I also spent 10 years studying genocide. Like my first book, My Name is Revenge, is about the historical connections between Australia and the Armenian genocide. And so I read a lot of, you know, (laughs) serious, dark, yeah, heavy stuff. Yeah. And most of it does not bother me. And my publisher, like the publisher of Dark Mode told me that readers who read thrillers, one of the reasons they like to read them is they like to feel afraid. And I personally hate to feel afraid. I don't watch horror (laughs) movies because they make me feel afraid. And I like, I don't read horror books like Stephen King's horror work because it's too scary for me. Um, 
But so I was sort of like, really? Is that really what people want? But apparently, like, all the reader feedback has been like, this book made me feel so afraid and I loved it. And I was like, oh, okay. But one book that really, really scared me, like, genuinely upset me and I had trouble, like, I had to put it down and take breaks from it was Men Who Hate Women by Laura Bates. And it is a nonfiction book. She is a, a feminist in the UK. She started a online project called um, Everyday Feminism. And as a result of starting that project, she attracted a lot of attention from trolls, from predatory trolls. And she uh, then decided she was going to investigate sort of the spaces that they exist in. And that led her into writing this book about what's known as the manosphere, which is these interconnected um, groups. You've got incels, you've got MGTOW, which are men going their own way. You've got pickup artists, you've got other sort of groups uh, within that constellation. And they have sort of overlapping ideologies. And what's so terrifying about that book is that those ideologies, which are all based on misogyny, are filtering into our politics and our media. So they're like working their way into our society. And that's very, very intentional on the part of these groups. They're also targeting young boys on Instagram and YouTube and places like that. And uh, yeah, it's really, really upsetting to read. It's funny. I actually started reading it because we've been reading a lot of romance and stuff on this. And I was like, you know what? I just need a bit of a palate cleanser, nonfiction. <laughs> Well, like, what is the, the thing is, when I read a lot of, of the romance. same books, I tend yeah. to, like, go for a non-fiction just to, like, as a palate cleanser, like, something different. I got it, yeah, like, I break saw it, it as a deal that's been on my wish list um, for my e-reader for a while, and I saw it as a deal, and I thought, great, I'll get that. And, you know, we have enjoyed Laura Bates's fiction before, um, and I've been meaning to read this book, but keep putting it off because it looks intense. It is intense. Um, a few days before I started reading your book, I started reading this. And holy hell, like within the first few chapters, it is truly, it's so terrifying. And it's just, it, like you say, the way that things are, like, I don't know, I look at things like that and like really intense alt-right communities and stuff. And I just get overwhelmed with this idea of like, how do you, work against these ideologies like they're so it's so hard to argue with people who are so deep in this stuff and it does seem like I've only read the first chapter because again need to take breaks as well um but it does seem like they do tend to prey on people and something that I noticed that she said in you know she makes this persona of Alex and, and starts to infiltrate these communities um, was that she'd see one really, like, a, a post from someone who seemed to be, like, a cry for attention, and you think, oh, my God, I feel so sorry for this person. They clearly have deep mental health issues, and then that same poster will write about how, you know, they want every woman to be raped and how, you know, rape should be legal and just this this idea that there are these people who have such complex inner lives can have these terrible thoughts alongside you know going through really um I guess normal struggles of saying you know I'm caring for my sick parents or whatever like it's so far just terrifying and and you obviously um take that to a whole new level in this book but I can see why like honestly I think and and as you said like I also have done a lot of true crime research I read a lot of dark things I think the only thing that I've ever found scarier 
is um, Michelle McNamara's I'll Be Gone in the Dark with about the Golden State Killer. That is, I think, an intensely creepy thing. Even though at that point I knew they had, had caught the guy, I think that one is, is very... Um, is really scary, but yeah, I can see why this book really like stayed with you because I'm not even that far into it and already I can't stop thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it and you think it's bad at the start and then it just gets worse by the end by the end of it. You're like, this is even more upsetting. <laughs> oh great. This is so much more upsetting. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. Oh my god, I yeah. really don't want to read yeah, this book. I'm gonna have to go slowly <laughs> with this one. I just think <laughs> I feel like it's such an important book. Like it is important yeah. to read, but oh my God, like. I know. I very much simultaneously want to read it and like educate myself and everything. And then I don't because it sounds awful and terrifying. At the same time though, it's sort of like preaching to the choir. Like the, the people who are reading these books are feminists like us. But I think it's really interesting, I guess. I want to see, I guess, what her thoughts are on how we can combat these things how we can protect young men from being sucked into these communities because it does seem to me that they really play on this vulnerability a lot and you see that with alt-right groups you see that with terrorism groups any sort of extremist views there seems to be a comfort people find in a community of people so how do you start to combat that it's really yeah it's yes. scary yes and I think that's one of the things that she does really well is that she shows how it's not just about, you know, what our individual opinions are. It's about how our media is being manipulated by these groups, that they're quite strategic in the way that they do that kind of thing. And so to be better educated about uh, identifying that when it's happening and looking for, like, knowing to go and do your own independent research, for example, if, if people are saying, people are quoting things in the media. Like, she gives examples where... Um, manosphere groups have given press conferences or talked to the media and given these quotes and stats you know about for example how how fathers are treated by the legal system and it's completely made up data it's completely made up information but the journalists and i mean i don't blame the journalists because they probably don't have time to go and double check these things right yeah. like cross check yeah. them <laughs> so it's up to yeah. us to do that and she so she makes those points really well yeah. Oh yeah. So for you, obviously, completely chilled by this. At what point are you like, actually, this could be, you know, the idea for a story? Yeah. How does it evolve into dark mode? Yeah. Well, dark mode actually started from a specific scene. And I won't spoil it. But if you've read the book, you'll recognize a scene where Reagan, the main character, goes to an apartment and she knocks on the door, believing that someone is going to answer and someone completely different answers at the door and Reagan at that point does not know what's going on and, and this woman insists that she's never heard of the person who Reagan claims lives there and so that it was that moment because I knew of course what had actually happened there and I thought I wonder how I could make that work as a plot like to pull that twist off how, what would I need to put in place before and after to make that make sense? So that's where this plot started, was just from how can I surprise readers, which is one of the things that I really, really wanted to do. You did. And... <laughs> Several times. <laughs> Excellent. <Yeah. laughs> Excellent. Good to hear. Yes, no, mission accomplished. Was that a real scene in Laura Bates's book? No. 
no so that was something you had thought and yeah thought, okay what, so yeah yeah that yeah, was something yeah, i thought yeah. of and then i sort of started p- pulling pieces into play and one of the things i thought was i really want more people to know about this because i think there are a lot of people who aren't are not going to read Laura Bates's book because they don't yeah. read nonfiction because they don't read that kind of political stuff you know they're readers but they're because they're not reading it's too intense <laughs> yeah yes yeah that too right so I was like <laughs> yeah. how do I make people more aware that this stuff is going on and that it is affecting us how do I make people more aware of that so I that's why I pulled in that aspect into dark mode is because I thought okay I want to bring some awareness to this and it's been really great because a lot of people have said you know they are only vaguely aware of incels or yeah they don't really know a lot about um the manosphere so i I feel like people have been able to take something from the book and like you said uh like you said michelle um, a lot of people have said to me that they found themselves thinking about it a lot afterwards Mm. Um, so i'm gonna ask a really dumb question uh and look i only learnt the answer to this quite recently in a podcast um, about this, but could you explain what the hell the dark web is? Oh, yeah, you know. sure. Uh, there's lots in of people. In a quick summary, who... to the best of your ability. <laughs> I'm also going to, well, I'm also going to link, I'm going to link the podcast that I listened to, which was actually about Silk Road. Oh, it was about the drug trading side of things, but they do an explainer of, this is what the dark web is. And I was like, that is that is very useful. I didn't really understand it before. Like I find like vaguely, I was like, okay, it's a thing, but I didn't really so, know. <laughs> so I will link that as well. But could you tell us as well in case someone doesn't want to go and listen to that? Before before you tell us, even because I'm, I mean, I'm just completely like, oh, I don't. It's too intense. Ah, not for me. I mean regular like listeners know we always get on here and Michelle's like I've just watched this great crime drama or read this thriller or whatever and I'm like I have another sitcom for you but when I think about the dark web yeah I you know like when you do like an incognito window that's what I thought as well I was like oh is that basically it no it's not I know it's not (laughs) no it's not that Oh my god, I'm losing it. So I know it's not that, but that's like what I think, like some version of that. That's obviously not oh, okay. intense and technical, you know but I don't know how to do. I know it's not just an incognito window. <laughs> it's, that's like, actually that's not a bad comparison. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, you know what else? Because when you open that incognito window, it's white font on a black screen, right? To make it yeah, look like. It's yeah. yeah. And so much of the dark web is white font on a black screen. Like it's, it looks like you go on the dark web and it looks like you've gone back in time 20 years in terms of like internet time, because all of a sudden yeah. there's like no graphics and what the websites are loading like one line at a time because the encryption slows the websites down, down so much. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. So it's like, it's like internet in 1999. It's very slow. It takes a long time for web pages to load. Um, so yeah, that's actually not like, because in theory incognito is sort of hiding you a bit from, for example, trackers, yeah. right? The dark web is that, but taking that that much farther in that it's it's super encrypted. So in theory, it's hiding you from everyone. It's hiding your activity from mm-hmm. everyone. Now, that's not 100% true. There are ways you can be tracked on the dark web, um, but it is, it is much harder to do that. Now, yeah. 
why you can't just pop open a tab in your browser that says dark web. <laughs> just, just Google, Google dark, web. dark web. Check it out. <laughs> here's, here's the link. <laughs> Yeah, this is the reason most people don't use the dark web is because I think I would consider myself quite an averagely skilled, like, internet tech person, you know. I don't, never studied tech, I don't know anything fancy, but I can do most, you know, ordinary things. To use the dark web safely, you need sort of the next level of tech ability. Like, you have to be Mm -hmm. willing to sort of figure out some techie things a bit, like putting on a VPN and a few other things. You need special software to access the dark web, so you need to download a browser like Tor. And a browser like Tor like looks like an, like an ordinary browser, but there's just some extra steps you want to take with it in terms, of, in terms of your own safety. Because the thing is, the dark web is designed to be anonymous, but also, depending on what links you're clicking, you don't know what kind of malware you're potentially downloading, for example. So you need to be a bit more careful on the dark web. Um, no, like decline cookies buttons <laughs> and things. Also, like yeah, I feel exactly. like the reason that Caitlin and I have never ever contemplated anything on the dark web is simply because we're like good girls who it it seems to be the place <laughs> where you do illegal shit. You're not ordering I mean, drugs, you know? Like, no, we have no reason to be on the dark web. Look, I'll web. tell you right now, Ashley, but I've yeah, never done like drugs, ridiculous. so I wouldn't even know where to start. <laughs> no. Let alone ordering them very online. Good so, you know. Sure. This is ridiculous. We probably, oh my God. I mean, <laughs> if anyone had any doubts about, you know, our our nerdiness. About what kind of yeah, people Yeah, the are. kind oh of people God. who do a book podcast on the side. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> and I never love break it. the rules um, ever. <laughs> so, so to answer your question, the dark web is just part of the internet but you just need special software to get to it one of the key differences with it is that there's no dark google so there's no aggregator that's pulling in all the sites that are openly accessible so often you need to know the exact links and dark web links they don't look like you know www.betterwordspodcast.com they have a bunch of random (laughs) (laughs) they have a a bunch of random letters and numbers in them so that you like you wouldn't just type them in to the URL, um, and that makes the sites harder to find. Which you're right, yeah. a lot of the activity on the dark web is criminal. However, we don't want to totally slander the dark web because there is some stuff on there. There's there's two reasons you might use the dark web, even if you are a good girl. One is that you're um, in a country where the government restricts your access to the internet. Mm. And so you want to access places like bbc.com or ProPublica. They have mirror websites on the dark web to make their information freely available in places like China and Iran. Oh my God, that's so cool. The, oh, that's really cool. Okay, yeah. yeah. So got activists, got a point back activists yep, use it. Yep, yeah, activists in countries like that will use it. And then also if you are, for example, someone who has been stalked, and you're concerned about your privacy legitimately, you and you're and you're a techie kind of person who wants the challenge of figuring out the tech and how to use the dark web safely, you might use the dark web to keep yourself safe. So for example, you can access Facebook.com on the dark web. Like they have a mirror site on the dark web. And I assume that must be for people who feel like they need the extra security. Um, also people who are very heavily into freedom of speech which we know can be, that can be a good thing or that can be construed in a very negative way. But there's some people who do believe um, 
you know, that they shouldn't be tracked because we are all being tracked. We're all being tracked, yeah. you, you know, on the clear web. Yeah. So there's some people who feel like I want to access information and I don't want to be tracked. So I'll use the dark web to access in- information. So, but that said, you go on the dark web and it's very clear that a lot of it is Nefarious. just criminal activity. <laughs> yeah. Selling, selling drugs, selling guns. There was one website I went to on there where you could just click add to cart and it was uh, $1,700 in Bitcoin uh, to destroy someone's life. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> but. Oh my goodness. Clicking around that website. And this is the thing is that that website was like, you were able to access it very directly on the dark web, which if it's a criminal website that where you were actually going to, you know, people were actually just quote unquote destroying someone's life. Mm it wouldn't be that freely accessible. So I'm pretty sure what yeah. was going to happen is you were going to pay $1,700 a Bitcoin to get absolutely Scammed. nothing. Like yeah. it was just a scam. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, probably Ooh. because, yeah, destroying someone's life. I love how vague that is yeah. because like that really could be like a lot of things or it could be like breaking their lock on their door or something. And you're like, <laughs> or like something so basic of like scratching their car. Yeah. <laughs> Just, just something send... mildly, or like now we know how to destroy your life, Caitlin. Court, you know, really like <laughs> mildly inconvenient. Yeah. They're just this sending them no a text that's just, just like, really, that's your new haircut. <laughs> <laughs> or yes, Caitlin, exactly, um, but, Caitlin oh and God. I got some lovely feedback the other day from from someone who had uh, been on the podcast. And Caitlin, I was I was showing that to Jack the other day. It's my husband, Ashley, and. Um, yes. I was like, oh, he messaged Caitlin as well. And Jack was like, did he just write one of you is better than the other and I'm not going to say who it is. <laughs> Jack, <laughs> I know, awesome. I know. And I was like, oh I've got to write but that. But again, to- what like a high school bitchy ruin your life move. <laughs> I know. Yeah. You'd be wondering about oh. it all day. Um, oh, anyway. <laughs> that's really funny. But no, I mean... We're making yeah, light of it, but like seriously, it can thing. be really, really dangerous, obviously. And, and that's mm. what you explore in, in the book as well. And as you said, um, Reagan lives her life almost completely offline. You said at the start, she doesn't have a smartphone, you know, all of this stuff. And reading um, that, particularly at the beginning of the book, where she's like, oh, they can track you on social media. And like, she just different things. And he just... Every now and again, I think a lot of people have these moments where we just go, oh, my God, so much of myself is on the internet. Mm. My passwords are all so easy to guess. I, you know, all of these things, you know, and for a lot of people now, we've been online on social media for well over 10 years or online with email accounts and different things like that for like decades and it's just crazy. Did researching this and writing this book affect like your personal views on stuff like that? Were you like shutting some things down, changing passwords? Well, that's actually, I've always been a bit like that. Like I've always been a little bit, like I use all of this stuff, but I've always said if I wasn't yeah. an author, I don't think I would be on social media because I just wouldn't be comfortable, um, you know, using it. But if you want to succeed as an author, you kind of need to have that public profile, for example. But it's interesting you say that about passwords, Caitlin, because I think one of the things, I think there's this old school idea that 
your passwords, the, the danger with your passwords is that someone will guess your password. And that's probably the least common concern, like that's the least common thing that will happen in terms of your passwords. What is 100% for sure happening with your passwords is that if you use passwords... Like breaker software things, surely. Yeah, well, so we have, we all have on average 100 passwords now that we use online, right? And some of them we use all the time and others we probably created two years ago and haven't used since. But, yeah. Forgot password, email me a link. <laughs> so there's there's breaches into all these different places where we've created passwords and that are still sitting in storage, like stored data. And so when those breaches happen, like data hacks and data leaks, they end up on the dark web. And they there are groups on the dark web that are coordinating your passwords and your personal identity information. And so somewhere there's a there will be spreadsheets on the dark web that have your email address and then a whole bunch of passwords, hopefully a whole bunch, not just one. I've talked to a few people who like our age who have one password that they use for everything and I was like I was like, you get up from the dinner table right now and you go change your passwords. <laughs> change you all that. of them right now. Because 100% for sure that password is on the dark web. And so one of the things you can actually do to keep yourself safer is to actually change your passwords. It's annoying to do it, but it will keep you safer. Mm -hmm. And you need a password manager to like be able to change passwords. Now the recommendation is that they be 16 characters long for uh, best practice safety. And you can't be memorizing 16 character passwords that have numbers mm -hmm. and you know yeah exactly so you need a password okay. manager and you need to go in and change your passwords and the easiest way to do that is to just when you go to a website you haven't been to in a bit just click forgot password don't even log in just click forgot password then have your password manager create a new bizarre random long password you know some of mine are 25 characters long and then you don't worry about it. So I mean, I'm worrying about this it really now. Should actually, just be, like this is like a public service announcement. <laughs> Everyone, go oh, change your password. Oh my god, Caitlin! Yeah. Like I've got, I've got LastPass. Caitlin, you're getting LastPass after yes. this, and we're changing all of our joint <laughs> podcast things. Oh my god! <sighs> Absolutely. And but the important, I mean, the important thing is to not and don't ever reuse a password. Like if you've used it for, <laughs> you know, if you've used it for squad, you cast, know that everybody's don't... doing that. Like, <laughs> no, if you have LastPass, LastPass get LastPass to create the passwords for you. That's oh what it does. God. It's good at it. Oh, LastPass wants to help you. Oh my god, this is. It's, I've got so much admin to do now, Ashley. Oh my god. I know. I know. <sighs> Okay, okay, I'm going to work through this start, this week. Start, Jesus. Oh start my God. by changing your important ones, your email, your bank accounts, your last pass, and then work your way through the rest a couple a day. Oh, my God. Okay, that's – we are going to do that. Everybody but take action is, on that. Oh, my God. It is one thing you can do. Like, there's a there's a lot of ways we, we have no control over how our data is being handled. Like, for example, with the Metabank hack, the Optus yeah. hack. Like, we have no control over that. We have to give our data to these companies if we want their services. Mm. And then and then they're responsible for keeping it safe. They don't. It ends up on the dark web. We can't control that. We can at least control our passwords. Okay. Okay, yeah, we are all really going to do point. that. Yep. And that is kind of generally – my attitude you know when it's like well i mean also social media and marketing is my job so there's yeah. that and you know we can be at 
at some point, you know, obviously not post a picture of my address or anything like that. Like you've obviously got to be careful, but at a certain point, like everyone is online. There's kind of nothing we can do about it now. There's photos of everyone on the internet and we're just at that point and that's kind of generally my attitude but I will change all my passwords I yeah promise, we actually. promise we're gonna change our <laughs> passwords I'm gonna follow you up I'm gonna follow both and I'm of gonna you make up. my husband change his passwords as well <laughs> yes yeah yeah uh, okay so yeah. cyber stuff aside because that genuinely freaks me the hell out let's talk about stuff I'm much more comfortable with talking about which is true crime um so the scene <laughs> that you open with in the novel I just as like literally was a few sentences into reading the scene you were describing that Reagan has stumbled across and I was like oh my god this is a copycat of the Black Dahlia what the hell where did you first hear about this why did you want to use it I was like oh my god wow like she went there that's amazing like I knew straight away and I feel like a lot of people who are interested in true crime will know that's why I don't think this is a spoiler um no 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 yeah so yeah and surprise to no one I had not heard of the case, so continue. Which shouldn't, which shouldn't have affected your understanding of the story. No, absolutely right. not. Okay. Yeah. So there you go. You got, both, want... you got both sides. You know, someone who knows I love it. Yeah. I love it. And it, it makes me works. so excited. But I was like, ding! Michelle, cause... Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. You're, you're one of the first people who said that. that oh, really? You recognized it right from oh, that first. Yeah. Wow. Right yeah, no, straight up. Wow, yeah. go Michelle. Woo. And that's okay, really yeah. exciting to me. <laughs> So, yeah, I had, so what happened was, I've, I'd always been interested in true crime, but just kind of in a, you know, and I've always read crime thrillers and loved them, but it kind of wasn't really a big part of my life until I got, I was actually, I was going down a completely different route because my previous book, my name, um, How to Be Australian is, is comedic. Like it's, it's got a lot of jokes in it. It's lighthearted. And yeah, I, I read that, that it was like, was doing, um, it, what you had sort of described as bit of thinking that Australia was like Canada but colder. <laughs> well, you know that when I moved when I moved yeah. from Canada to Australia, I thought that Australia was hot Canada. Yeah, exactly. Um, it turns out it's not. But I was doing I was also doing stand up comedy at that time, and I thought maybe I was like, oh, like maybe I want to get into stand up comedy as well. Like maybe that'll be part of my creative career. And then I got sick. And that's a long story, but basically I got diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome and I ended up mostly bed bound for about two years. I'm still like, I'm still recovering. I'm in a year seven. And one thing I didn't know when I got diagnosed is that most people do recover from chronic fatigue and actually the average time is three to five years. So they said, they told me three to five years and at the outset, 10 and if it's wow. longer than 10, then it's probably actually something else and we don't necessarily know what it is. But anyways. Great. <laughs> so wow. I was, yeah, I was very, very sick. And I, then everything in my life kind of shut down. And the wow. first thing I lost was the stand-up comedy. But then like, because I got sick sort of gradually, uh, there's a thing called insidious onset, which happens in about 40% of chronic fatigue cases. And you get sick very slowly and then one day you just can't get out of bed. Oh my gosh. And that's what happened to no. me. And so my life had been like slowly shutting down and I was on medical leave from work. And and then I just, it, but it had been coming and going. Like I'd be sick for a few days or a week and then I'd be able to do most things again. And then all of a sudden it just yeah. came on and then it didn't go away. And so mm. I, sp- I spent all this time in bed. And so one of the things that I did 
that really actually helped, one of the few things that helped was listening to true crime podcasts. And I think it's because it really lifted me out of the mindset I was in. Like I was in this mindset Mm -hmm. of like thinking about all the things I'd lost and all the things I couldn't do and all the things people around me were doing without me, like my friends, you know, and family. Because when you when you get sick like that, like everybody else's lives go on. Like they still have their jobs. They still have their friends. They still have their social lives. Like nobody else's life. Like even my husband, like he was taking care of me, but he, his life still went on. I couldn't ask him to like, oh, okay, I'm sick. So you can never see your friends again. Like obviously he was going to go out and do things. Right. So I think the thing about listening to true crime was it totally took my mind out of that situation and into something else because you've got a crime that's been committed you've got people that are trying to investigate it and you're you're really actively thinking about oh how did this happen why did this happen are they going to catch the person responsible how are they going to prosecute that person is that person going to be found guilty like it was really really good for shifting your mindset i think and so i listened to hundreds and hundreds of hours of true crime and at one point michelle Someone in one of these podcasts referred to the Black Dahlia as the most infamous unsolved murder in America. And I was like, oh, that's really weird because I listened to a lot of American true crime. I was like, why have I never heard of this? Of course, I immediately looked it up and I found this incredible podcast called Root of Evil. Have you listened to that? I have listened to parts of it. Yeah, and I know know roughly like the story, which you do recount. So anyone who doesn't know, it is in this book. You do sort of give the the, just the gist in this book of... of what yeah that recounts yeah so in brief her she was her name was elizabeth short and a lot of people know the the name the black dahlia which is just her nickname just because she had this really pale face and this head of curly black hair um and it's not even clear she had that name when she was alive or she just got it after she was murdered but she was found murdered in this really specific way and it's still technically unsolved to this day although there's some really interesting theories about the murder, one of which I get into in the book. And I didn't just cherry pick this case because it's famous. The theory that I find the most convincing has to do with misogyny and it has to do with a type of misogyny that I just found so blatant and horrendous, but that is also tied to art and how women are portrayed in art that I think echoes, has echoes through society beyond just the criminal mindset. And I wanted to yeah. connect that real world violence to what we talked about before with the manosphere and the ideologies of misogyny that are proliferating in online spaces right now. So that was the reason why I chose the Black Dahlia case and wove it into the story. Yeah, um, it is. It is fascinating. It's yeah. I think as as lots yeah. of unsolved cases are. Um, I mean, yeah. I always said like I really wanted to know the Somerton Man case in Australia which has like just been solved recently which is amazing um yeah so I will link to that but like that that Caitlin is like an ABC thing where they found this person who for so many years has just been an unnamed man on a beach in the 1920s in Adelaide um at Glenelg and oh wow yeah it's like super famous and they've identified they him. They finally identified him. They found his whole family. Um, it probably wow, wasn't like cool. a murder. Like it, there was all these theories though about maybe he was a Russian spy and a ballet dancer and like all this. There's so much stuff yeah. about it. It's fascinating. And I was always like, oh my God, I really want to know 
Like if there's one case you could solve, like a lot of people will say like John Bonnet Ramsey or, you know, there's lot or Madeline McCann or whatever. Like if there was one that you could get the answer to, and that was always mine. But it's solved now. So maybe I'd say Black Dahlia. Um, yeah, there but you go. I was interested to... <laughs> you have to change your answer. Like would the, the other cases that are mentioned throughout, and this may be a bit of a spoiler, so we, like we'll keep it non-spoilery, but... The reason okay. that you chose those cases that you then reference later on, is that also because of how they sort of mirror and fit into the plot that you wanted to uh, create? Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. And I felt like either you're going to be a reader who knows a lot about true crime like you do, and so like you would recognize these things and they would speak to you immediately, or you're a reader who is curious about that stuff, so you're going to go and look up some of those names that I mentioned and some of those cases that I mentioned. Or you're a reader who, you know, likes to read a, a fiction book, doesn't want to know about that stuff, and that's fine as well. You don't have to go into depth with any of that stuff if you don't want to. You can just sort of brush past it and the plot will still all make sense to you and you'll still get the full story. So, but I think, especially for readers who want a bit deeper understanding of the psychology of some of the characters i have some references in there to true crime cases which are quite well known yeah yeah Ooh, interesting yeah we did we did and a- as a <laughs> I was just gonna say i mean obviously you know we've mentioned several times uh michelle's obviously a huge true crime like listener reader consumer and ashley you are as well like and the whole thing about the fascination with crime and, you know, that whole, like, perfect victim syndrome, even in, in the book, as we've said, with the Black Dahlia case being part of the story, and Reagan works at a garden centre and people start trying to buy dahlias, like, which is a very creepy detail that I was like, ugh, what? Um, but that whole curiosity thing, like, what? How do you feel about that and how it's included in dark mode, that fascination with these crimes? Yeah, I think I think a lot of people are really interested in the psychology of others. And so that then involves looking at these extremes, right? So the sort of extremes of human personality. So I'm really interested in, like, I'm also a very good girl. I've never ordered drugs on the internet. Um, and, and the idea the idea of committing a crime really stresses me out, right? Mm. Because then, I, then I'd be constantly, yeah. I'd be so anxious I wouldn't sleep. Oh like, my God, I, I know. I, I think it's about people it. who, um, God, I was having this conversation with someone and like about people who, you know, carry out, say like a really long-term um, like embezzlement or something. And I'm like, how do you just live without being anxious like all the time? There is no point stealing all that money because surely your life would be ruined and crippled with anxiety. Like what is the point? Anyway, that's, that's, I mean, I'm clearly not going to be able to do it. So I am anxious yeah. as hell. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, but clearly like people's brains work differently. And I mean, we, we know that like nowadays more than ever, we know yeah. that people's brains work differently, but I think there's something compelling about understanding what it's like to be inside the brain of someone who thinks and sees the world so differently that they can, yeah. for example, and is capable of things like this. But I think also, yeah. I think one of the things, Caitlin, is that I, having studied genocide for 10 years, also believe that most of us are capable of murder if we're pushed under the right context. Because I look at situations yeah. where populations 
have been turned against their neighbors, like in Rwanda, where you had one group turned against another group, and you had people literally out in the streets with machetes murdering their neighbors. These were everyday citizens. These weren't people who we would think of as killers, right? So how do do populations get manipulated in order to behave that way? And, And I did not set out to look for a connection between... Um, what I was writing in dark mode and the research I'd done on genocide. But one of the things that uh, I discovered about uh, misogyny online is that groups like incels will use a term, the term foid, which is short for female humanoid. And it's a way of dehumanizing women. Yeah, it's awful, right? It's really awful. Yeah. And it's a way of dehumanizing women. Like you start, you label a group and then you refer to that group as... Um, inferior as subhuman and you internalize that you come to believe that mm. and that is one of the steps to um, on the road to genocide it's always involved in labeling and dehumanizing a group so to see that happening like this is one of the reasons why men who hate women is so upsetting mm. because you see these tactics being used and you know how serious and horrible this is like it's not just it's not just people being being jerks it's actually strategies that have been used to destroy communities yeah and you do see it in different like war situations um my husband and i recently watched gunpowder which is about um guy fawkes trying to blow up houses of parliament and obviously part of that is like obviously like people might know that story um but Part of it is like the fact that the the prosecution of Catholics by the English royal family who were Protestant, and you know we were watching this and we were just like, isn't it crazy how just for their religion they can be tortured or you know it really is, and I guess yeah now that you kind of say that connection, you can see that people being um, being extremist on a personal level. Um, really does relate to how whole communities can turn against one another. Like, I'd never thought of it that way before, but it makes so much sense and it's really scary. Yeah. Yeah, and so yes, it's about definitely. this understanding of human psychology. Like, I think, I think it's worth investigating and understanding how individuals end up committing murder because then that can help us in terms of understanding how an entire community ends up committing murder like Mm. genocide is the crime of crimes and if we want to prevent it from happening in the future we really do need to understand the machinations of it there's a lot of people who say like oh there's all this true crime stuff now but you would probably know as well ashley that like obviously this has been around for centuries like there has always been this fascination it used to be when there was you know a crime committed like for example, a murder, that neighbors would come and tour through the house to look at the crime scene. Yeah, so I read a book at the start of this year called Triflers Need Not Apply by Camilla Bruce, and it is about Belle Gunness, who is said to be America's first female serial killer, and the farmhouse 
where she killed a lot of her victims, it did become like a tourist attraction. Like people would visit there. Um, so I do think there is just like always been this morbid fascination with these things. And maybe it is partly that thing of the reason why people watch horror movies. Like like that idea of, oh, we just want to get close enough. It's like you're safely able to be scared or whatever. Like there is probably a bit of that as well. Um, but yeah, I tend to, to wonder if it's not more of our search for understanding of these things that we just cannot understand. And, and, you know, for some people, they turn to religion and others, you know, want to look at true crime. Yeah, turn to true crime. I, halfway (laughs) through that, I was like, that's a very bad analogy. What are you saying? Um, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I like it though. I do like it. You know, like it's this search for meaning in what is sometimes just meaningless action. Yeah. But I, I definitely like have my own personal limits of, you know, like what I consume true crime wise versus what's entertainment. And I think that's probably something that everybody needs to come to their own conclusion on what they think is acceptable or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's definitely some content out there that is far less interested in, for example, victims' rights or considering the justice system. Like, for uh, one of my favorite true crime podcasts is Women in Crime. Do you listen to that one? No. Oh, it's fantastic. So it's it's uh, hosted by two criminologists who, like, work at a American University and so they're they're looking at cases involving women sometimes as the victim sometimes as the perpetrator but they're looking at them from a criminological perspective so they're bringing in theories and so it is exactly what you were saying Michelle it is that attempt to understand how does crime happen in society and then by understanding that like then how can we reduce it for example Mm. and so they've got like one of the really interesting theories that um, I've learned from them is what's called control balance theory and it's this idea that we all need some control in our lives right and if you get either too little control or too much control then either one of those extremes will lead to committing crimes. Too little control, of course, for example, uh, can lead to lashing out. But too much control Mm. is is the kind of situation, for example, where you end up with a cult. Because this person, the person at the top... So much power. Exactly, exactly. So now, so I was just listening to this podcast about the 12 tribes, which is a a sect uh, that has been accused of being a cult. And if you read about it, it's certainly seems to operate that way and the person at the top had so much power that he would just issue these edicts and everybody had to follow them even if they made no sense um it's just like way too much uh way too much control so i think by like actually engaging with um uh investigation into what is actually going on here and how does it work we can learn a lot as opposed to, I think, the other end of the spectrum, which is just using crime for entertainment, and which yeah. I think leads to a disrespect of, obviously, the victims. Yeah, definitely. And the ones that I sort of choose to listen to, the ones that are comedy podcasts, like, there's sort of, the comedy is making fun of the criminal, which, you know, mm. I feel like I'm okay with. They're making a joke about Peter Sutcliffe, <laughs> you know? Like, they can make a joke about how Fred West eats onions. I'm okay with that because that person is an asshole. Um, but they are from a very feminist perspective. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um... Oh, man. It is so interesting. Um, so... Something that you mentioned before um, as well is that the book is set in 2017 
And I was just curious about, like, as I was reading, I was like, oh, I wonder why that rather than just like a... Yes, why 2017? Yeah, yeah. why 2017? <laughs> a few reasons. The first one is that uh, I felt it was the one of the last years where Reagan could conceivably not have a smartphone and actually still have a business. Oh, oh yeah. That was the that was the year my husband was forced to get a smartphone. Um, I already had one because <laughs> I had wanted to be using social media to be involved with the writing community. Like when you know that was you would go to a writers festival and everybody would be on Twitter. So there'd be the conversation that was yeah. happening on stage, but then also the conversation that was happening on Twitter. And so I had gotten a smartphone a couple of years earlier, but my husband had never needed one. But then that year, all of a sudden, all of his friends were on WhatsApp, and just could not be bothered to send a separate text to him or a separate email. It was yeah. like, if you weren't on WhatsApp, you weren't invited to things. And so he didn't want to upgrade to a smartphone, but he sort of felt forced to. And I spoke to someone else who'd read the book and she was saying she had a small business and 2017 was the year that she got her business on Instagram and that that really made a big difference in terms of drawing customers to her business. Yeah. So I feel like there was a shift around that time where we went from still being offline some of the time, you know, when the people who had yeah. old style cell phones. Like, mm -hmm. do you remember you would leave the house and just not know what emails you were getting and then come back and be like, oh, I've got like seven emails. Like, like now, now you always know how many emails you have. You know instantly the second yeah. they arrive. Like we're, so that was partly it. The other thing was uh, I wanted it to be an anniversary, a big anniversary year of, of the Black Dahlia. So 2017 was 70 years after Elizabeth Short's murder. Mm -hmm. And then the third thing, um, it also worked really nicely to have that be the book is set around the time of the inauguration of Trump, which is just happening in the yeah. background of the book, but also alludes to some connections with the manosphere that I also drew from Laura Bates's book. Yeah, yeah, which, you know, yeah, sadly probably has only gotten worse uh, since uh, with COVID oh, yeah. conspiracies and stuff. But actually, you're right, like since COVID, I think it would be, it would not be very conceivable to have a business that was solely physical. Like you need some sort of online presence. No, Otherwise absolutely you're not going to have not. a business unless it's only just opened. Um, so yeah, that makes so much sense. I mean, now that I've asked that, I'm like, oh, well, duh. Like that's, it's, it makes I know. so much sense. Like the, yeah, the Trump inauguration and the anniversary with the Black Dahlia case, like does make sense. But I didn't really think about, the social media thing and it's so interesting to pinpoint 2017 there um and interesting you say that's when your husband got a smartphone because it made me think I think my that's the year that my family made a family like whatsapp with yeah. my whole family yeah. um a whole group and I think my grandfather held off getting a smartphone until about 2019 or maybe 2020 but we would all get messages from my grandmother because he wasn't in the group. And so she would like say things for him or be like, I've shown this to him <laughs> or really something. Cute. Like she was the spokesperson for their relationship. Yeah. Um, which, but yeah. And so now occasionally we actually do get a message from him in the WhatsApp. Oh, wow. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's so funny because he held out. I mean, he had to get a new phone when 2G like literally didn't exist anymore and he had to upgrade to a different flip phone he's really refused technology for a long time whereas my grandmother is 
not the opposite, but like she borrows ebooks from the library on her nice. reader yeah. and like that. had an iPod before I did. Aww. You know, she's pretty cool. Oh, I love her. She sounds amazing. Yeah. But I think, I think there, yeah, there is that sort of, if Reagan had been an older person, it wouldn't have, the year wouldn't have mattered so much. It would be a bit different. You could set, you know, even now you could set an older person who, yeah, maybe has a cell phone that, you know, is being, is suddenly (laughs) not working anymore because of, of something like that. 2G thing's great. Yeah. But because she was a younger person, it actually, my writer's group, uh, in the early drafts with my writers group, they really didn't get on board with Reagan and they really helped push me to make her as believable to the reader as possible. Because when you first start reading the book, you don't know what Reagan's reasons are for not Mm. being online. She just has this policy. She just has a stance. Then later on in the book, you find out, okay, this is what's happened. This is why she's like this. And um, then readers are more on board. But uh, at first, my writer's group was just like, well, what kind of weirdo is in, is on social media? Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Very helpful feedback um, there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know. Well, it's like, it's a bit of a a joke, really, you know, like things that's like, oh, well, you look up someone's Instagram, like if you meet them and you're like, oh, they're like their Instagram's weird it's like a red flag you know like all of these things are just jokes now and the fact that I mean certain characters not being on social media maybe would have been a red flag to me in the book just saying Mm. (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah. anyway um we've talked so much about everything in this book maybe we should I will go a bit outside the book um and Ashley, can you tell us a bit about your journey to publication? I suppose before this book, obviously, you've had other books published, but maybe also specifically about changing to fiction and writing dark mode. Sure, yeah. Publishing dark mode, yeah. I should say. Yeah, because my first book it was a very quirky little book. Uh, it was a fiction novella and then collected essays. And how that came about was that I had written um, this nonfiction book about, it was sort of a biography of modern Armenia. And I couldn't get it published. There just wasn't enough interest in um, the, the market for a book on Armenia, unfortunately. I, I found it fascinating. I think it's very important. But, you know, you've got to write. If you want to publish something, you've got to write what people want to buy. Mm. So that's how I, yeah. I ended up. But I did manage to get this very small book published on it, which I'm really pleased is out in the world. It's been really amazing to have that out. And that took me nine years. And it's this whole, this whole long story. But then I wrote this book about Australia because I had been told like, oh, nobody in Australia wants to buy a book about Armenia. So I sort of like petulantly was like, fine, I'll write a book about Australia. Maybe people will want to buy that. (laughs) Australians do buy books about Australia. I'm sure you found. (laughs) Which did did work out. It did work out well. I did get a publisher for that book and (laughs) and it has done done very well considering it came out during uh, June 2020 during COVID lockdown. Um, so, so then when I started with my next book, I thought, okay, like I'm going to try writing a novel, but we'll, because it's hard, it's hard to make a career writing nonfiction unless you have another platform, you know, you're a celebrity or you're a radio broadcaster or whatever, you're a scientist. It's hard to make a career. Whereas with fiction, if you write a good novel, you have a chance at actually making money 
um, and becoming a full-time author, which is what I really, really, really wanted to do. And I was trapped at home anyways because I'm still recovering from the chronic fatigue syndrome. So I was like, okay, I can't do anything else anyways. I want to make this career work. So let's try writing a novel and let's see what happens. And so I went in. I think I was too scared at first to try making it a crime novel because I was... I feel like with crime, like crime's going to be so intricate and so clever. Like crime readers are so savvy. They know so much about crime and how it works. Yeah. And they're so suspicious of all the characters and they're always trying to figure everything out. And they all read so much crime. Mm, yeah. Like there's so much Australian crime out there as well. Like specifically Australian yeah. crime. Yeah. And then there's all the international stuff. Yeah. Like they're so on it. Yeah. It's tough. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So at first this novel wasn't even a crime novel. It was like a sort of a black mirror-y kind of spec fic thing-ish, contemporary spec fic. And then it sort of morphed into more of just a contemporary fiction thing that was kind of Gail Honeyman-esque. And then I, then that's when that twist came to me, the, the knocking on the door twist. And I thought, oh, like, that maybe, well, that would have to be a crime book. That would be a crime book. So I went in with this experiment, um, this experimental mindset. Like, I'm going to try writing this. It might not work at all, and that's fine. If it doesn't work, I will just go back to nonfiction and I will try, you know, I've got a list of like six or seven things I could try after that. So I was like, try this, it doesn't work, it's okay, go back to nonfiction. And so I think that experimental mindset helped because it freed me from any expectation. And yeah, I ended up, um, I spent a couple of years on it, which really isn't that long in the grand scheme of things compared to like a lot of people's first novels. And I ended up getting a really great literary agent, which was really exciting. And she ended up getting me a really fantastic publishing deal. So it's come out in Australia, New Zealand as part of a two book deal. It's come out in the UK just uh, last week and it's coming out in Germany next year, which has been just really, really exciting. Wow. Congratulations. That's incredible. I don't think I knew that it was published in the UK. That's yeah. amazing. Oh, thank and you. so close as I will well. make sure yeah, and they did I'll, I'll be like moving Australia. it like, to the front of the shelves when I go through bookshops. Oh, like... thank you. Thank you. I did that yeah. too. <laughs> nice. Nice. Um, so will your we, next we appreciate book, that. Will your next book be yeah. crime as well? Yes. So now, now that I have gotten dark mode out into the world and i loved writing it so much i really want to establish myself as a crime writer i now. mean so you're my plan really is to good just at it write. like you're really really <laughs> yeah. good at it thank There's you it's like one thank creepy you. book <laughs> well well the trick is to see we'll see if i can do it again so will my next one be as creepy because i've sort of set an expectation now like readers mm. will go in right and they'll have an expectation so it's sort True. of how do i subvert that which is the current, I had a meeting with yeah. my publisher this afternoon about the, the next manuscript, which is kind of in the works right now. And it's sort of like, okay, how do we, how do we meet readers' expectations for, you know, people who've read Dark Mode and then subvert those expectations. So it's sort of like doubly hard yeah. now. Like yeah. Dark Mode was like, nobody had any expectations of what I would do as a writer. And now I've like no. sort of set the bar so yeah, the next one's going to be a challenge, but I'm I'm excited. I mean, it's nice. It's nice to have a clear, solid creative challenge, and to have a team that's going to help me make that succeed. So to be able to go and meet with the publisher and discuss, to know that, that I have the agent's support, um, it's it's exciting. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Awesome. Do we like know at all like when that's 
coming or like it's a couple of years off when March we don't know. 2025 so yeah it's a couple of years, a couple of years okay now. yeah um, yeah, yeah. And just to just like final question before we wrap up, yeah. how on earth do you write a book that leaves readers feeling this creeped out, like without driving yourself insane? Like, how did you protect your own mental health while working on this book? Yes, I think I got such joy out of making the book happen. Like, <laughs> For, I, of, yeah. Uh, yeah, writing a terrifying book. No. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I think that's the thing. It's like, like when I read Men Who Hate Women, like I felt really, like freaked out and frustrated and and yeah, terrified. But then I can take that and I can channel it into something that then allows us to have these conversations. So that I feel like that's sort of it's that control balance theory. It's taking yeah. a little bit of that control back, right? Like yeah. I feel like yeah. this stuff's happening. I have no control of it. I don't feel safe. But then, okay, I can put it into this book that then maybe gets other people. You know, I've talked to a, a number of people who have um, ordered a copy of Men Who Hate Women or are currently reading it because they learned about it from dark mode. So I feel like, you know, that's helping me create the world I want to live in. So actually, like, it, I felt really good about it. Um, I think also keep in mind if those 10 years that I spent studying genocide, I think that sort of, I interviewed genocide scholars, you know, who, like, they do that as their profession. And one of them, a woman named Asia Darbinian, who's now um, a professor of genocide studies in the United States at Clark University, she talks about how, you know, you do that as your job, but you don't live it. And that's, I think that's the difference is that, like, um, like, she and I both come from families who survived genocide and we know these horrible, horrible stories about what our family members lived through. Mm. But we also know that we get to live this very, very different life where that's not part of our lived experience and that's not part of our daily reality. So we also know we're very lucky. So I think I think it's keeping those two things in your head at the same time. Yeah. And did you have to um, give the true crime a little bit of a break then if that was like, you know, this is my work and I'm writing this book. Is it like, okay, outside of that, I'm, you know, reading rom-coms or something to just give myself... No, I don't do rom-coms. I don't do... I don't do... I don't do any variety of rom, um, <laughs> calm or otherwise. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, true crime is still... I still go to bed listening to podcasts about serial killers. I... Same. Yeah, I <laughs> seem to have an insatiable appetite for that because there's always some new detail that's completely fascinating to me so I think I think that's how I know that I'm in the right profession now like I know I'm on the right track because I you know I can do this kind of 24 7 um my husband I think endlessly fascinating is a good thing yeah Yeah. my so in the book you've got Reagan and then her best friend Min and her best friend Min is a true crime writer and crime reporter and so they're a little bit, a tiny, tiny bit based on my husband and I, because I am Min in the book. Yeah. Whereas my husband. All I could think about was that it's like me and Michelle. She's <laughs> always going on about true crime podcasts and crime shows, and she's written a true crime podcast. <laughs> and Caitlin, have you ever heard of this case? And I'm like, no, I haven't. And I'm like, how can you listen to murderers about murderers all the time? So see, you're so you're just me. like my husband, Caitlin. You're uh, he's yeah. he's got a no murders at the breakfast table rule, which I find very hard to follow that rule. I'm just like, <laughs> but I want to tell you about this case. <laughs> 
love that. My husband's kind of into it. Like he doesn't listen to as many true crime podcasts as me, but he has his favorites and we will listen to them before we go to bed. Mm. Yeah. It sounds like we're going to have to trade favorites. We're going (laughs) to have to send each other a list of, yeah. Definitely have to give each other recommendations. Yeah. Um, Thank you so much for joining us, Thank Ashley. You. This has been a very fun I chat mean, about been, some horrible It also topics. has been mildly terrifying, not going to lie. I'm going to go off and uh, yeah. change a lot of passwords <laughs> and stuff now. Um, yes, please. Yeah. Yes, Ooh. and now for the most menacing way we've ever asked this question, at the even though we ask at the end of every interview, where can people find you online? <laughs> that was very menacing. <laughs> It's never usually this menacing, and I now know. I'm like, oh god, do we like? Are you even going to want to answer after everything we've talked about? <laughs> I mean, look, you can definitely find me on the dark web. I'm sure a whole bunch of my passwords are on there. Um, you can go to the websites where you check if your pass, if your email has been involved mm. in data breaches, and I know my email has been involved in multiple data breaches. So you definitely find me on the dark web. But if you if you don't want to find me for malicious purposes, if you just want to find me because you want to know more about my work. Um, you can visit my website, ashleyclayjanblunt.com, where I've got um, the book club pack for Dark Mode. Um, there's a fantastic book club pack that Ultimo put together that you can download for free. I've also got my events and upcoming workshops because I teach creative writing. Uh, I've got them all listed on there. I'm also on Instagram and then a little bit on Twitter and Facebook. Not as much, but if you want to find me, probably Instagram's your best bet. And I've got a newsletter. You can sign up for that. Um, but yeah, that's so cool that people can download um, book club packs as well. I love that. Um, thank you so, yeah. so, so much. I mean, as evidenced, there's, there's so much so to discuss much with discuss. this book. Wait until everyone's actually read it. Ooh, yeah, so oh my gosh. And if you want to invite me to your book club, anybody listening, if you want to invite me to your book club, I love when I can actually talk about all the spoilers because if you think I have a lot of true crime, like, stuff that I get excited about in this conversation you should see me when I can actually talk about all the stuff that comes up in the book yes it's always a really oh fun conversation and guys so you better more. believe that as soon as we hit stop recording we're gonna have a quick discussion about that because <laughs> I can't stop thinking about this book <laughs> thank you so much um I hope we haven't freaked everyone out everyone go change your passwords um yes. yeah thank you so much for joining us thank you for having me this has been great <laughs> Thank you for listening to Better Words. You can chat to us on Instagram at Better Words Pod. And follow me, Michelle, at Unfinished Bookshelf. And me, Caitlin, at Just a Bookish Babe. If you liked this episode, please share it with a book loving friend and leave a rating or review. Bye.